Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is The Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required. Hey everyone, question. What's better than a game featuring cryptids and 1920s horror films? Absolutely nothing. And that's why we're looking at Unmatched Adventures, Tales to Amaze on our Games We Play segment. Yeah, this one's a real McCoy. It's the bee's knees. It's the berries, you know? But first, Lorcana Season 2 and then Season 1 reprint. Also, you and your friends can challenge hell with the new Diablo TTRPG. And if you're working in a retail game store, how about joining a union? All that and our crowdfunding roundup on this episode of The Dapper Meeple. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Dapper Meeple. So if you missed our last show, or if you just haven't done anything that we asked you to do from the last show, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Go over to Kickstarter and look up Fire and Ash. F-Y-R-E-A-N-D-A-S-H-E. They are the guests that we had on last time. They are making gorgeous products. We're going to talk about them during our crowdfunding roundup. Just to remind you that they're still going on. They're a little over halfway done with their Kickstarter. um, And we're all about pushing them to the end with the funding. So if you haven't checked them out yet, please go do that. And uh, so the first thing we're really going to talk about on the show is because we haven't in a while. And it feels like the fever has died down. But we're going to talk some Lorcano. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion if this product may be dying in the crib Yeah, because of all the issues that have happened with distribution and lack of product, just to be honest. Uh, but we have a, a little tidbit of news. So the highest selling auction for a Lorcana card has just kind of broken new records. We have the uh, Elsa Frozen Queen, which is one of the most expensive cards in the set. There is the specialty enchanted version of it. Whatnot. Right, right. So this is the version that came out at D23 when they first announced Lorcana shoot a little over a year ago, give or take. So this is the original artwork. This isn't the like the special artwork. Yeah, this is just a regular artwork that's just standard, but at the bottom it has a small stamp that says D23. Got it. And that one was going for something like wasn't it like eleven hundred, I think, was the highest that we had seen. Uh, it was something like that for like a, a graded tin enchanted in, version. With the enchanted version. Yeah, with the, the alternate artwork. Uh, so this one has now sold on eBay for $7,050. For a card. A yeah. single card. Yeah. Collectors be crazy. So that brings us into this this idea here. Lorcana is... I feel like it's on the verge of being really good because the gameplay is very good. Sure. Like it has a lot of, even for a new RPG, it has a lot of really good decision space. The deck building mechanics are not like overwhelming or like hard to maneuver. Um, It's very kind of new person friendly. It's just impossible to get your hands on. Yeah. Without Still. paying. $7,000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's the thing as we've been playing it, um, with the decks that we had, we had the three starter decks. We got a couple other packs to help build out. Once you decide how you want to build your deck and how you want to play it, you're going to be looking for specific cards, which I guess happens in all the TCGs. Yeah. They're just not there. Like, they're just not out there. Yeah, there there is a lot in the secondhand market for people buying singles, but mm-hmm. still, you'll spend an arm and a leg a lot of times, especially now that there are tournaments going on of this. So we're starting to develop a meta of what are the best decks, what are the things to counter them. And once you have that, just like with what Magic does, you always end up having cards that rocket up in price because they're auto-includes in most decks. Right, they're the popular ones that everybody wants. Yeah, so we have the first set is the only set that's out right now, and we allegedly just got a restock of it, uh, which some game stores have said that they have gotten some, but from what I can tell, it's still very difficult to find. It definitely still does not meet the demand. No. The second set is set to come out in the first week of December. And that is the... Rise of the Floodborne. Right. So it's going to double the amount of cards that are available to choose from, which hopefully hopefully will maybe take a little bit of uh, pressure off the secondary market. But from some of the initial reports that I've seen from game stores kind of putting out what their numbers are versus what they ordered... 
it's probably going to be the same story. Even before this game came out, I had talked to friends of mine that work at game stores, kind of in that industry. And it just, it always felt like this launch was going to be rough from everything that I had heard from them. Yeah. You like at the beginning, I heard things like Ravensburger, who is a big board game publisher, was talking to a lot of game stores that, hey, if you want this, you're going to need to buy puzzles to go with it. Like there was a, you had to buy a certain amount of it before you could get yeah, because that's a big part of their business as yeah. well. Now, I don't know if that happened. So just in case there's any lawyers on there, we don't have any money for you to come get anyway. So, I mean, <laughs> you'll get my microphones. Good job. Um, but yeah, and even with that, it, it all just felt like there was never enough yeah. for the hype. And Ravensburger has come out and publicly said, yes, we did not make enough of this. Their plan is to do um, a re print of the first and second set come the first part of the year right right i remember that but that is kind of where we're sitting right now so we're hopeful for the new set the new cards look pretty cool the artwork is really cool because it's it's a spin and twist on traditional disney artwork um that's kind of what the floodborne is in the lore right so that's cool i'm excited about that would love to see more about it uh unfortunately it's still really hard to get your hands on and it may never get better (laughs) How long do you think it's going to be sustainable, though, if it doesn't get better? I, I don't. We go back to that, you know, this idea of dying in the crib. Yeah. So I think one thing that has helped a lot is people who are hardcore fans on this have found ways to kind of work around. So some game stores are allowing proxies. Right. Um, so if you don't know what that is, that's when you print, uh, you know, just a picture of the card and you slide it into a sleeve and you run with it. Got it. Right. So some some stores are allowing that just that so people can have cards to play with. Yeah. Right. Um, there is a app app slash program because you can run it on a couple of different things called Pixelboard. Yep. Uh, which functions very similar to like a Magic Arena a digital version of the game. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's still unofficial, uh, but it is there. A lot of people are using it for testing and things like that, which. You know, that helps out. Right. I see a lot of YouTube people using that. Yeah. So there there is options out there right now. So we'll have to see. Like yeah. there, there's really no way to say um I the I, I think it'll be a real test of how popular this game is gonna be to see if the excitement continues. Not this set, because this set it still feels really fresh, but come the first of the year when we hopefully get, you know, the reprints. And we get new sets, like to see how it builds off of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think right now it's still a lot of excitement around the price tag. Right, there's a lot of money still to be made. Sure, yeah, yeah, in yeah. like that third party market. Kind yeah, of thing. which yeah. attracts you know people who are looking to scalp and things like that. So that that can kind of make it difficult currently. But I think as far as a sustainable game as a whole, we'll just have to see if they're able to like catch up with it. Right. Cause they're right. making enough money. God knows they're making enough oh, money. They've got to be, they've got to be. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just a matter of actually being able to catch up with the demand. It feels like one of those products that is a guaranteed sale. As soon as it hits the shelves, you know, like whatever your predictions for how much you were going to make. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Th- and you even have game stores able to charge, you know, 40 to 50% above MSRP yeah. and are still selling product. Yeah. Yeah. And and that kind of like that just again shows that demand of where it is. Moving on from that, yeah. let's uh let's talk about other popular games that are getting new games. Yeah. So we had an announcement come out actually uh earlier last week from when we were recording a new Diablo board game and RPG. So this looks like it is uh heavily based as far as the artwork on the recently released video game Diablo 4. Right. It looks like it kind of captures a lot of the um, the general lore that happens with Diablo. The coolest part, so we don't have a lot of information on it. They didn't release a lot. Um, basically just a, hey, look at our new thing that's about to come out. Um, but it's being made by Glass Cannon Unplugged. So we have talked a little bit about them in the past. Um, I think we might have mentioned when we did our Gen Con wrap up. Right, because that's where we met the guys. Yep. So they are the company behind the Frostpunk game and the new Apex Legends game. Right. And they also did Dying Light. So these guys seem to specialize in taking video games and turning them into board games. Yeah, that seems to be like their their niche. So 
Uh, it is also like officially sponsored by Blizzard, so you know they're going to have a hand in that, which also means they're probably going to have the funding to be able to do some pretty cool stuff. Right, right. That's a huge publisher, um, yeah, for, for better or worse, uh, yeah. that's been around for a long time. And to see them kind of dipping their toe and really looking towards doing board games, again, just shows that this industry is still growing. So if you have ideas that you want to use to make money, there's still opportunity out there. Yeah, they've done some World of Warcraft themed stuff. Um, some of it better than others. I know mm-hmm. they had the World of Warcraft TCG that came out for a while, or CCG. Yeah, I think it was. Um, it was okay. I remember buying a couple sets of it. I remember they just stayed in their boxes. I didn't ever play the game. but <laughs> um, So yeah, I, I'm excited because... The company that made this, so when they did the Frostpunk game, they had the huge like generator in the middle of the table that was like a really cool eye-catching piece uh, with the Apex Legends. They had all the terrain and stuff yeah. like that. So I'm excited to see kind of what they do with it and what it looks like. I imagine it's going to be more dungeon crawlery just based on the... Because that's how Diablo plays. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is, you know, a dungeon crawler, looter shooter type game. So, yeah. so there's going to be a... Uh, crowdfunding campaign for the board game and the RPG is set to release at next year's BlizzCon. Which I think that one will be interesting because I I always thought Diablo had a lot of really good lore and stories that go along with it. So to be able to spin that into a tabletop RPG, you know, that that could be really good. And I'd be interested to see what system they went with or if they've designed their own system. Cause that can make or break it right there. Yeah, absolutely. I, like I said, there hasn't been a whole lot of information come out about it yet other than it's coming. Yeah. So we'll see what that looks like. We'll keep you guys updated as we get more information and see that. Uh, but either way, I'm pretty excited just based off of the publishers and things like that. So another story that caught our eye as we were prepping for the show, there is a New York board game cafe whose employees are working to unionize, yep. uh, which has kind of been something that I feel like is new into our industry. Um, Paizo Press, yep. I think, is one of the first that they unionize their workers, where Wizards of the Coast yet again put their foot into some orifice they have, <laughs> and everybody else responded to that. Yeah, it was during their uh, decisions to make changes to the open gaming license, and everybody else was like, well, this sucks. We're going to do better. And Paizo Press came out and said, not only are we going to do better, we're going to unionize our people. So now uh, this is spreading. There is a board game cafe in New York. So if we have any listeners there, go check this out, called the Brooklyn Strategist. And their workers have gotten together. Uh, They announced their intentions to unionize. And they cited a number of issues, unfair wages, job insecurity, and ineffective and retributive management, which just means the person in charge is dumb, and if we say something, we get in trouble. That's what I read. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably a very good, uh, like, you know, easy way to say it. I'm not saying that's the fact. I'm just translating the quote, <laughs> just so we're clear. Yeah, I, I think this is, a, this is an interesting stage of, of kind of development for this business. Right. A lot of your board game companies are kind of really small, like kind of quick and easy. Like you have a few employees like that's that's kind of the way it's always been. But now we're we're actually getting to a point where we have, you know, right here. This says that they have 25 employees that are actually coming together in this. Right. That's a pretty good size like store. I believe it's a cafe as well, if I'm not mistaken. That's what it says. It looks like it's an independent cafe. But the owner is also co-owner to a like franchise kind of cafe. Yeah, so a, there is another uh, board game cafe that is included called Hex and Company, which I think is kind of the name of the overall company as well. Right. Um, they recently, the Hex and Company store, launched their own union efforts um, back in October. So right now they are kind of in the stages of wanting the management slash owner to voluntarily acknowledge the union. Right. Um, And I think that says a lot about the attitude that they have coming into this. So, in fact, they they give a quote where they kind of explain the way they feel about this. So it says, we are asking for voluntary recognition so that we may together collaborate to address the issues your employees face and ask you to offer a competitive wage in the fields the business operates in. The motto of the Brooklyn strategist is up your game. All we are asking is that you hold true to that motto by upping your game and doing better by the people who work so hard to make your business profitable. So they've got a lot of protection for the U.S. National Labor Relations Board, which apparently they are 
um, leveraging to get some of the bargaining done and some of the uh, voting and whatnot to establish a union. I went through this before in my job as a government contractor. The place that I was working um, established a union, right. and we reached out um, to an already existing union and said, hey, we want to be part of it. And there were some things because we were government that we weren't allowed to do. Like, we couldn't strike because right. we were you were government contractors. But what it did was it improved our wages. It established wages for, you know, if you've been here this long, you get the Like, it yeah. was all cut and pasted and it was you know you could go look up the agreement and know exactly what you were getting and they had to abide by it even for those that don't know government contracting those contracts will switch to different companies but yeah. those of us that were in the union our jobs were safe and we had to be offered our jobs no matter who was the prime on the contract right there's a lot of advantages when workers come together i don't care what anyone says i mean i know there are a lot of people that are very anti-union but having been in one and having seen one that has run well um, like anything else, there can be corruption, but I mean, I don't know how corrupt 25 people can get. Right. Right. And it, um, uh, so I went through in my last job, the opposite side of that. So being in a management position, we were not instructed in how to stop unions, but it was more of a, this is how you discourage it because it is illegal to, you know, union busting. Yeah. You know, the stuff the Pinkertons did. <laughs> As we return to our favorite group of people who operate outside the law. Wizard of the Coast, just looking at you. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, um, I'm I'm very happy for, for these people. Like, I hope that they're able to come to terms with, you know, getting the wages that they deserve. And I hope that the environment of the company is better overall for this. Sure. I mean, and I'm looking at, like, pictures of these people and stuff. And we're not talking about, like, 16, 17-year-old kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, they're, if yeah, I mean, they're this. still old enough where they need a living wage. If this is what you're going to pay them to do, yeah. I, and I know there's a lot of economic arguments out there that, well, if you pay your people too much, you don't make any profit and you have to close and then they don't have jobs. I just, yeah, we're, we're not, we're not economists, first off. <laughs> just, we make a lot of comments on stuff where we have to clarify that, hey, this isn't what we do, but, yeah. yeah. But I, I do hope that, um, I do hope this comes out for the good for them. Yeah. You know, this is uh this is this is kind of the movement that I feel like with with this generation, you know, kind of the end of my generation and then the one underneath us of being starting to stand up for things like this. Right. Right? And I know like past generations did as well. And then we had that like gap <laughs> where where it's just like nah you take what you get yeah. and you're gonna like it you show up and you do whatever work you have to do to keep doing that work for 40 something years and then when you die they'll replace you and that's what you get yeah yeah and and that's kind of we're now getting to the point where we're like nah that's not good enough yeah you know and and i i am glad to see that i appreciate that because that's showing up in not only in the workplace but also in you know society in general right Right. And not accepting the status quo, but instead pushing back because, you know, it can be better. Sure. And I think that's something that I mean, again, we talk about how game stores are a community. Yeah. Right. And the workers there are such a huge part of it because, I mean, we've been to some even some of our game stores who had hired people who were just not there to deal with the public. Yeah. Which feels like a big part of your job. Um, and it's just not the same. You yeah. know, you need people that are going to be smart on the product know what they're doing, know how to like run the store and be able to talk to people. Cause how many of the people in the gaming community, we just don't know how to shut the hell up. Like we yeah. make a whole podcast on this. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I, again, I I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. I, I do wish them luck. I hope that their efforts are, are fruitful. Su yeah. Successful. I mean, definitely, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see how it goes. Unmatched Adventures, Tales to Amaze, designed by Jason Hagar and Darren Reckner, with artwork by J.J. Erosa, Ann Benjamin, Marie Bergeron, Ashley Florell, Satoshi Kamanaka, Naste Len, Quan Chai Moria, Ian Reed, and Jason Taylor. Published by Restoration Games.
Unmatched Adventures, Tales to Amaze takes the already popular Unmatched PvP game and turns it into a cooperative boss battler. Themed around the pulp adventures, tall tales, and local legends of the mid-20th century, this version of the game plays with any of the Unmatched characters, so you can build your ultimate team. Tales to Amaze comes with two villains for you to defeat, the Mothman and the Martian Invader. Each of these villains comes with a unique battlefield and different objectives, along with sharing a cast of possible minions. Jersey Devil, Ant Queen, the Loveland Frog, the Blob, Tarantula, and the Skunk Ape. The villains, with the help of their minions, will either defeat the heroes or complete their objectives to win the game. The set also comes with four brand new heroes that you can use to play in regular unmatched games. Nikola Tesla with his electrified coils that power his effects. Annie Christmas, a southern keelboat captain who gets stronger when she's fighting from behind. The Golden Bat, the world's first superhero who moves quick and hits hard. And finally, Jill Trent, science sleuth extraordinaire with her gizmos and gadgets. No matter how you build your team, you have to stop the villains with their henchmen or all is lost. So we've talked Unmatched before. It is a player versus player, one-on-one, two-on-two, deck builder. You've got miniatures that you have to move around the map, so kind of area control type. Uh, Characters that you can choose from are incredibly varied. I mean, we're talking everything from classic heroes like Achilles and Medusa to Sherlock Holmes to Buffy the Vampire Slayer to the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Yep. And now Marvel's getting in on the game, too. So there's a lot of that going on, which I got to get my hands on Squirrel Girl. I just want to see how that plays. (laughs) Just got to give her the limelight. Right? The theory is that she's one of like three superheroes that could have just taken Thanos down. So (laughs) I'm going to see how the cards play. So we've been a fan of the game for a bit. And they ran a Kickstarter uh, last year, which was Unmatched Adventures, Tales to Amaze which we believe is going to be the first installment of that. And hopefully uh, they're going to do some more with it. So we have played through this game, what, four or five times now? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot to it. Uh, we're just going to kind of run through the stuff. Uh, really good game. Re- I've really enjoyed it. I'm a fan of cooperative games. I really am. Right. Um, that's what this game does. It turns the unmatched system into a cooperative boss battler. Right. And it very much has the, like, 1920s, 30s, 40s kind of feel with the heroes and monsters that they've picked and put in there. Yeah. So let's start with the heroes in the box. All right. So uh, we there comes with four heroes. The first up, um, I think probably the most known hero would probably be Nikola Tesla. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. The four that are in there, because everybody knows him, especially there's like this cult following for Tesla. Um, the death ray right uh <laughs> what happened with edison and westinghouse when electricity was becoming widespread tesla was part of that his ideas were more let's just blast it out into the open and see who catches it but he was like if you read anything about him he was brilliant yeah right? well now he's also a superhero yeah yeah um he very much like has a reliance on his tech mm-hmm. um you have the two electric coils that you can charge up and will boost your different attacks and things like that uh really really good design um i think one of one of the coolest characters uh so the next one we have is annie christmas so if you're like me thinking who is annie christmas uh she was a seven foot tall captain on the mississippi river right this comes from like Folklore in Louisiana. Yeah. All right. So she is known for wearing a necklace of pearls. Um, one pearl for every fool who thought they could take her on and failed. So this chick be throwing hands. Yeah. She's just a seven foot tall angry lady. Right. And her mechanic is that when she's like fighting from behind or she has less hit points, she does more damage. And it's fantastic. She uh, also has a minion. Uh, yep. She's got Charlie. Charlie. Yep. yep. Who has a, usually Charlie's attacks are ranged attacks. Hers mm-hmm. are melee. Uh, Charlie back there with the pistol in case. You know, he doesn't need to come in often, but he can. But what he does, he comes out from behind that table because he's a dealer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next one that we have is uh, Dr. Jill Trent, the science sleuth. Um, so Jill Trent is another fairly unknown right. character. 1920s kind of comic book. Yeah, the pulp comics kind of detectives. Yep. Uh, she mixes like detective work with gadgets. That's right. Yeah, so... Um, I was trying to think kind of who she reminded me of. Um, it, it It's almost like an, 
a Sherlock Holmes type, but with more technology. Right, right. It's not so much just deduction. It's building a gadget to make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and a lot of her cards play that way, too, with the utility belt, with the uh, rocket booster. Yep, yep. And she has a, her special thing is she has a little gadget card that has two sides to it. So some pretty cool little effects there. It depends on whether or not the card, um, whether or not the card you play is higher or lower than the opponent that you're going up against. Yeah, her her card has the Hypno Ray Blaster and the Ultrabiotic Tonic, which sounds like 20 superheroes so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she solves crimes, or in this case, battles hideous monsters with her best friend, Daisy Smith. Yep. Uh, both of them are melee characters, so they just run in and like punch stuff. There is a card that I saw that they... Um, if they're adjacent to each other, they get bonuses. So that's, yeah, that's very, very cool design. It's something that Unmatched has always done really well, I think, is making character cards that fit kind of how I would kind of perceive that character. Yeah, they play like the character is. Yeah. Uh, then the last one we have is the Golden Bat. This one threw me off. Like, <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. I would not have thought that was his name. Uh, when you look at the artwork and the mini and stuff, this is artwork again from like the 1920s, 1930s. Yeah. The and early golden age of yeah. like superhero comics. Right. But he a Japanese superhero? I think so. Yeah. I think he, yeah, yeah that's where he originates from. Um, he, he's like got a skull. He reminds me more of like Ghost Rider. It's just a dude with a skull for a face uh, and a sword. Yeah, so from the ancient world of Atlantis, he traveled through time to the 1930s to fight crime wherever it might rear its ugly head. I see what they did there with the skull. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not going to lie, the picture that you probably thought when you heard Golden Bat is not it. It's not it. Not at all. I, I, I would have went with like Golden Skull. I, I don't know. But I when I first saw it, I pictured like a Batman variant. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And then I opened it up and I was like, that's not. Nah, nah. not at all. Uh, but the dude is, he's pretty, he's pretty awesome. So he has a special ability where if you have not moved yet in combat, you get a bonus to your attacks. Yes. Right. And then his abilities, like different cards that he has, you can play them and you can, it'll move him around the board without like taking you that penalty. Right. And being a melee character, he has a lot of movement. Yeah. He, I remember the one game that I played with him, like you could get across the board one turn, no problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, normal mun match boards are pretty small, but this is a pretty big layout. Yeah. It's definitely expanded. Yeah, so let's talk about the two bosses that we have in the set. Right, these are referred to as villains. So this is the uh, main boss that you're dealing with. Right. Uh, so we have the Mothman or the Alien Invaders. Sure. Mothman is pretty popular cryptid. We actually, on the way to Gen Con, stopped at the Mothman Museum. Yeah, check out our Instagram. You can see the pictures of the statue. In Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh, and the whole uh, story behind it was that... You know, Mothman started showing up in this area, and uh, I want to believe it was for several months. And then one day in December, the bridge uh, across the river collapsed, and yep. like I want to say it was like 27, 37 people died or something like that. Like it was a big, it was a big deal. Yeah, the Mothman has forever been associated with that, and has been seen as like a harbinger of bad, like bad news and destruction and stuff yep. like that. Um, so cool that they finally got him in here. Yeah. So they're, they even made like a movie on it. So there's the Mothman prophecies. Yeah. Yeah. That you can check out. Uh, but yeah, I, I really, uh, I'm really glad that he made his debut here in unmatched. Um, and it's funny because he's trying to destroy bridges, right? Which is his, he technically didn't destroy the bridge. He was just a bad omen. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. Uh, that was my that was my one gripe. That was my one real big gripe. <laughs> and there it is. Uh, so got it out, out early. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, it plays really cool. Uh, there is a mechanic with the bridges where each of the bridges, if you in next to them, you can activate them, and they do certain things. Like one of them will heal you, um, and there's a couple other small effects that they do. But as the bridges get destroyed, obviously you can't use them anymore. It also makes traversing difficult because then you can't cross over where right. that was. 
Um, so some really cool stuff there. Uh, we since we backed it on Kickstarter, we got the upgraded tokens. The Mothman comes with these little um, like creepy looking moths. They remind me of the thing off Silence of the Lambs, the little moth that's like on top of the person's face. Yeah, that's exactly what they look like. Fantastic. Love it. Um, and then the other one is the alien invasion. So you'd flip over the whole board and it's a completely different setup. There are little fields where the Martians try to invade. They're definitely cornfields, just as a side note. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's goal has to do with, um, kind of revealing its whole plan. And the longer the game goes on, if you don't k- take care of the little, you know, aliens that are in the fields, that threat level goes up faster and faster. And then before you know it, its plans are all unveiled and it wins the differences between them. So uh, they're pretty, they're pretty similar in that it's a lot of mitigation. So with the Mothman, you're trying to um, kind of keep the bridges from getting all the moths on them that destroy them. And then with the aliens, you're trying to keep the other aliens out of the cornfields. Sure. Yeah. The Martian invader. Yeah. It, those two play pretty pretty similar. Difficulty wise, I think they they're also pretty even. I it I think a lot of this game depends on the heroes that you play. I was gonna say with the, them. The, the yeah the big thing that we found is the heroes that you play, and then how many people you have. So it plays up to four. Yep. Uh, and every time you add a person, the game gets more difficult. The villain gets ten hit points for every person that's playing as a hero. And then there is one extra minion for every person that is playing. So if you have three people playing, you have the villain plus the minions, three of them. Right. So let's talk about the minions. Um, these are the sub-villains. <laughs> what, I will yeah. refer to them from now on. <laughs> what I really liked about this and what I think, um, just looking down the road, what I see is them coming out with another version of Unmatched Adventures and being something else. The Tales to Amaze really does harken back to like that, like I said, 20s, 30s, 40s. And you can see it in the villains that they chose, in the heroes that they introduced in the box, and even the minions that they've pulled out really do feel like early, you know, early television, early movie, like horror movies. Yep. Where it was giant ants, giant bugs, giant things you can't control, and then a couple of uh, cryptids or, you know... Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of local legends. Yeah, so the the cryptids, I like to start there because, you know, we had the Mothman. So there's three that really go with him. There are six minions in total, but three of them are considered cryptids. Yep. Um, so we have the Skunk Ape, um, who is one variation is known to live in Florida. It's uh, supposedly, according to cryptid experts, there's a lot of air quotes going on in this episode. <laughs> Uh, it, it is some kind of version of Bigfoot that lives in the swamp. You can identify it because it has a foul odor because yep. it's hairy and lives in the swamp. Yep. So uh, what he does, though, on the board is hit you with like a truck. Oh, <laughs> it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. He, he is probably the most straightforward one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he if you let him get close to you, it's rough. Right. Like, it's it's a lot of damage. Uh, the next one we have is the Loveland Frog. Uh, we played against this one a couple times. Right. Um, like I, I kind of like it as a as a minion. What it does, um, it keeps adding more copies of itself into the initiative track. So the first round, obviously, the card's only going to come up one time. But the longer you play, it can get up to like four turns in a round, which is wild. Like it, it really throws off the uh, action economy to where this thing's just beating somebody. This is a local legend out of Ohio. Right. It's supposedly like a four and a half, five foot frog man or frog that stands on its back feet. But again, another great cryptid to follow in with Mothman. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we have the Jersey Devil. Probably another really popular cryptid. Everybody's heard about the Jersey Devil in the Pine Barrens. Um, I think we've talked about it because there's been other games that have folded him in. Yeah, when we uh, had the uh, the cryptid version of... Horrified. Horrified, yep. yeah. The Jersey Devil co- forces you to discard cards, which can be painful, That we, like we found out today. Yeah, the Jersey Devil is one of the most difficult ones, I think, because of that. Every time... Every time he hits you, most of his attacks and things like that will, or even when you attack him, will force you to discard cards. His end of round effect is really nasty too with discard. Um, that's that's the name of the game. It's all all discard, right? And for unmatched, even in the regular play, your stack of cards 
is your lifeline. If you run out and every time you're forced to draw a card, you take two damage. By the time you've gotten to the part where you've gone all the way through your card, you're already hurting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then we get on to the others, which are more like the the early cinematic, like giant creature tropes. Right, which goes along perfect with, you know, Martian invaders. Yeah, yeah. So we have the first of the tarantula, um, just a giant spider. Uh, <laughs> He's just a big spider doing big spider things. Yeah. Uh, he is able to drop web tokens around the map, uh, which if a character walks onto a web token, it has to immediately stop its movement. Uh, that gets a little bit annoying down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also has some pretty nasty abilities if it's on top of one of the web tokens and it's trying to fight you. Right. Some of them are just, uh, it can completely ignore whatever card you played, either yeah. in offense or defense. Yeah. So yeah. you're either going to take the full hit or you're going to get nothing on him with a good attack. Yeah, it's it's definitely rough. Um, and in that same vein, we also had the blob. Uh, so, of course, the giant acidic thing that just consumes cities and people. With it, its special ability is dropping behind these acid tokens, where anytime you walk over them, you take a damage. Right? All pretty straightforward. The blob also has some healing, which I think yep. we took him out fast enough that we really didn't get to see that. Yep. But some of his abilities, I think if he's on one of his uh, acid pools, he gets to regain health. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, we have the Ant Queen, which is just a big, giant ant. Again... You're talking like early cinematic, like those horror movies, nickel theaters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, her abilities really focus around having a hive. Yeah, because uh, so she has additional cards that she adds into the initiative track called pheromone cards, mm-hmm. which do various things. Uh, one of the big things she's known for, though, is she can also increase the threat track. Yes. Uh, which it basically hastens the end of the game to where the villain's going to win. So let's talk a little bit about the gameplay on it. You can pick any of the unmatched characters. So if you have a box of characters or, you know, any of the unmatched uh, sets, you can use any character you want. They send, they give you the four of them that just kind of go along with the theme, but we've pulled Beowulf out of the box. I pulled Sherlock Holmes out, Medusa, T-Rex, T-Rex. Cause we were just getting fed up the first couple times. It's like, what do we need? A giant ass dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. And, I like that that really adds to the replayability. Yes. Uh, because all the characters are so different. Yes. Um, and you really got to approach it differently depending on, you know, who you're playing with. Um, we did finally get a pretty solid strategy together, not in like characters, but just in general gameplay. And we found out that you got to kill the minions first. It, like, it just simplifies and reduces the beating you take getting to the boss. Yeah, yeah, because we, you know, we talk about RPGs, especially D&D, then there's an action economy in D&D. And if you and your small party are going against 20 other creatures, the fact that they get to act 20 times to your four makes a big difference. And that's what you run into with this game. Yes. Right, because you start at the beginning of the game and it's fairly even. They'll, you know, for us, we played three player mostly. So you had four actions on the enemy side and then three actions on our side, but then they also get end of round things that happen. Right. Right. So it's basically like they're getting, you know, eight actions a turn. So as you start to, you know, knock off the minions, that goes down drastically. And then all of a sudden, you know, your guys are getting three actions a turn and then you have the main boss doing two things. Right. So each one sets up with the main boss and the minions and then your characters. Your initiative comes in the form of cards. There are certain cards that they put in. There are cards for each player. There'll be cards for the villain. And then there'll be cards for each of the minions. Now, some of the minions have multiple cards. Or they add multiple cards as uh, time goes on. Shuffle those and you draw. So you never know who's going to go in what order in each round. From there, it's figuring it out. Not only are you trying to eliminate the villain. We were reading a little bit before we started playing the first time and it was like, all you got to do is take out the villain. And that's true. The rules are you got to take out the villain. If he's got all of his minions still on the board and you take him out, game over. Yeah. We tried that strategy and it did not go well ever, ever. Because one of the things like we were getting beat up by the minions when they would come around. Right. And it's a tough, it's a tough little system. So as somebody who likes, uh, cooperative games i enjoy a little bit of bite to them right right i do love me some spirit island um those damn colonizers they'll get you every time (laughs) um and this is by no means like that level of like complexity or anything 
Um, it's pretty straightforward. Like it very, if you know the unmatched rules, you can pick up and play. Yeah. Um, and the unmatched rules themselves are not very complex. That's right. It's it's definitely one of those things where I think this is more entry level friendly. Sure. This is not like a game I would put in front of somebody who has probably never played games before. Uh, but definitely somebody who has kind of a basic understanding of kind of modern board games. Yeah. Like they don't have to be a hardcore game or anything, but it's I think it's pretty easy to pick up. Sure. And when you're talking about win condition, you have to take out that boss. They are and their minions are trying to either defeat all the heroes or like you've talked about, there's a threat tracker that, you know, is moved forward at the end of each round. The amount that it moves forward is based on of different conditions that have happened during the round. Yeah. And it will complete like we've lost by being, being defeated and we've lost by the threat tracker completing itself yeah. four times. Yeah. So either way, it's stuff you got to keep track of. Yeah. So out of the five games that we've played, we've only won one. And that was against the uh, Mothman. Uh, we haven't beaten the Martian Invader yet, but soon. We'll get to it. Yeah. But that's five plays on our 10 for 10, baby. <laughs> so, yeah, but overall, a fantastic game. So let's let's get into uh, some ratings and stuff like that, and we'll get this part wrapped up. Uh, so we'll start with value, uh, like we usually do. So originally, the game was Kickstarter for $60 plus shipping. Uh, currently, I think you can pick it up for like 45 bucks. Uh, on a couple different online retailers. So either way, though, I, I think there's a lot of game in this box, even if you don't consider all the unmatched expansions. Right. Even if this is the first unmatched product that you've bought, yeah. the four heroes that come with it make it worth it. Yeah, because we didn't really mention, but you can also take these heroes and play them just like you would regular unmatched heroes. So competitively against each other. Yeah. If you do pick this up, and you kind of like the gameplay and you want to play it more in a PvP style like it was originally designed, go pick up a like a box of two. Because the unmatched yeah. usually come in either uh, two or three or four heroes in each box. So, I mean, and those are usually run like 50 bucks. Yeah. So, given that you have the two different villains or bosses um, and you have six different options for minions. And there are the adventure cards. Mm, yep. So once you get cocky and beat this thing a couple times, they've also put in, I think it's six or eight cards that you shuffle up and take uh, three of them out for the game. And it changes gameplay like it'll do things like make some of the minions stronger or limit how much you can move or something like that. It's basically just another restriction on the game to make it more difficult to up that difficulty level. Yeah. If it's not hard enough for you, they're like, we got you. Yeah. <laughs> You like pain? We got you pain, baby. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk, uh, give it a rating for value. Um, My thing with value on this one is I feel like it's a good solid, you know, eight. It's kind of stuff we usually play with. I feel that value is based on the fact that we already have several boxes of Unmatched. That's fair. Uh, But I think even out of the gate, I would still put it at... I would still put it at a solid, you know, seven and a half or eight anyway, just because of the option to play cooperatively or competitively with what is in the box. Sure. That's a good point. Yeah. Because you could take those and you could learn. It comes with the regular unmatched rules as well. Yeah. So you could pull out the golden bat. who doesn't look like a bat. And one of the other heroes and go at it unmatched style. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think they're, I, I definitely, I, I would say probably an eight on this one. Okay. Um, just because I, I think that, the option to play both, I think it's very cool. A lot of games don't do that well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the unmatched system does it well. Yeah. Let's talk components. Now, the ones that we have, we did, of course, get the Kickstarter stuff. Right. But the only upgraded components we have are the tokens that either ma- mark the um, moths for Mothman or the aliens for the Martian Invader. Right. The ones, we still have the original that come in the box. Yeah, which are just a double-sided token. One side is red eyes and one side is green eyes. Sure, and they are still not bad. Like, yeah, I mean, no, they're, they're still a solid high plastic token. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Mothman and the Alien Invader, both of the sculpts are pretty cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, Mo- Mothman is kind of iconic at this point, uh, and it looks really close to the statue yeah. in West yeah. Virginia. And then the, or the Martian Invader is a two-piece. Yep. Uh, it is a flying saucer. Again, 1930s little green man and it has this beam that it's basically it's stand yeah that it stands on uh and i mean i like both of them i think they're really cool 
Um, the Unmatched series always has miniatures, which usually they're a really decent sculpt. Yep. And you can identify them like, really detailed. Yep, absolutely. Um, the card quality is very good. Um, I, I don't think I really had any complaints on the components. Um, I know we have had sets in the past where like the little bases don't fit on properly. Some of the the little dials that once you put them together, they're a little tight. Right. Um, but usually you work those a little bit. And- yeah. So I, I think that's kind of one of those things to work out. Speaking of the dials, the uh, both the Martian Invader and the uh, Mothman have like custom health dials. And the Mothman looks like the Mothman head. It's fantastic. The Martian Invader looks like a flying saucer. Yeah, like well done. That's that's great little nice touches that that are fantastic. Yeah. Um, the other tokens, as far as the minions and like the sidekicks and things like that, all those are really good. And those are pretty much classic unmatched style, yep. right? The ones that you have with your heroes, for those that do have them, are just the disc with a picture on them. But the minions for the uh, villains are the same way. They're a, but they're a they're a hexagon. Yeah. Yeah, everything about it is really good. The the tray that you put them in is all nice and tidy. Everything packs back up really well, which is always really nice. Which is another thing they do well. Not to say that I'm not going to go buy that new uh, unmatched sorting system. Oh, yeah, for all of the stuff. Yeah. But still, the individual trays that they come in are, are usually very, very good. It is. So, yeah, uh, components, I mean, I think it's a nine. Solid, yeah. I mean, they're easy to use. They do what they're supposed to do. They do it with some style. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that I would make much changes to them, but I, I, it doesn't feel quite like a 10, but I definitely think a nine. Yeah, yeah, easy enough. Gameplay. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing that I really liked about this was um, sometimes you run into with cooperative games upkeep and like moving the villain or the bad guy and things like that um, can be a little complicated. Right. I don't feel that way with this game. Everything feels very clean, very straightforward. Uh, the initiative deck, I think, is fantastic. I really like how that works. Yeah, that mixes up the turn order um, enough to where it doesn't make it feel like randomness is the key, but it adds enough of that to where it, it doesn't feel like you can play in like four turns out kind of thing. Right, just a pinch. Yeah, yeah. It, it's. I, I think it's done really, really well. Um, the upkeep as well is not something that you really have to worry about that much. It's all pretty straightforward and quick, um, whereas some games do not do not do that well. Right, and with the unmatched system too, one of the things that you learn playing it is cards are what power your abilities. Well, to get cards, you have to use what's called your maneuver action, which is something that allows you to move, but the first thing you have to do is to draw a card. Right. You're required to draw a card no matter what, and what that does is it burns down your deck. So if you have a long, drawn-out battle... Whoever runs out of cards is going to start taking damage every time they have to do that. You have to keep in mind, though, that you've got to do those maneuvers to keep your deck healthy so when the time comes, you can hit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was something that we, on this game, the first time we played through, uh, we had a couple of big abilities in our hand, and we just started unloading on them, and then it was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) now I got nothing. Yeah, and I think that was kind of where we figured out, you know, how to approach it. Because we are focusing everything on the main boss, because that's what it said to kill the boss you yeah. know, in the game. Yep. Uh, kind of like save the cheerleader, save the world. That's all we focused on. Um, and it did not work. No. Much like that series. Yeah. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the minions ended up taking us out because we were having to burn so many cars for defense. Yeah. But again, that's the unmatched system where, yep. you know, you have cards that are either for your hero or their uh, sidekick or for both. Some of them are attack, some of them are defense, some of them are attack or defense. Same sort of thing, just put into this boss battler. Yeah, I and I think as a, so not critiquing the unmatched system, but the Tales to Amaze Adventures version, um, I think they did really well with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, converting uh, it over, they did great. Yeah, and they have a couple of pages in the rule book that says, um, you know, if your character's ability says this, um, then this is how you translate that into the Unmatched Adventures. Sure. Specifically when a character does something like when you're playing one-on-one, you each have a hand and then right. you draw into your hand. Some of the abilities let you see that hand. Well, the monsters have cards that you flip. They don't have a hand. Right. So the way you handle that is by revealing like the top card. Yeah. So uh, overall, really, really well done. I would, I think I would give this a, a solid nine. Like yeah. this, is, this is a very good cooperative game for me. I like this one. I like the fact that we opened it up and we didn't just bulldoze it the first time through. Yeah, that is uh, that is one thing. Like I said, I like in my cooperative games. I like to ha- like for them to have a little bit of teeth. Yeah. Yep. Um. So let's talk replayability. 
Um, let's focus. Uh, so mainly core box. Yes. Right. So you have four heroes, uh, depending on, depending on your player count that you'll go through with that. Uh, whether it is just you playing or if it is, um, like some friends or whatnot, you can get a lot of different plays just out of the heroes. Oh yeah. Right. Even if you play the same setup of like Mothman and whatever your favorite minions are. Yeah. You get some good playability. When you start adding in, all right, there is a second boss that that acts and reacts differently, and you have other minions that you can swap in and out. I think the replayability on this goes through the roof. Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, adding on, uh, what is it, the adventure tiles that can make the game harder on top of that. Yep. So just when you get good, you're not. Um, that and each of the heroes, like we said, plays differently. So you could get really good with Nikola Tesla, you know, and still have fun characters to play yeah because they all are very unique yes like they all have a much different play style um so yeah absolutely um if you add on to that now the unmatched system and the availability that's out there if you're willing to grow that collection yeah like that's it the way that this fits in i think is a fantastic product for them and i i'm sure i think they'd be crazy not to add more onto it Absolutely. And that's um, what it, again, that's what it kind of feels like with just the naming convention. Yeah. You know, it is unmatched adventures, colon, yeah, tales to a maze. Exactly. Uh, so replayability, uh, again, I think I go with a nine on yep. this, honestly. Um, it's, it's, it's good. Even, even base game box, it's, it's very good. You're going to have a lot of fun with it. Um, I, I would say probably I wouldn't recommend playing it solo. Um, like it's a one player, if anything, two hand it. Cause I think that just gives you a whole lot more options. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely good. So let's talk overall. The unmatched system is already kind of like tried and true. Uh, so much like how dice throwing went with adventures and on their new Kickstarter, they're doing the missions. I think this is a really smart way to take your game and introduce it to more of the gaming audience, because yep. now you're not a, you're not a one-on-one confrontation battling each other. Yep. You're going after a boss. Um, which is huge. Cooperative games are really becoming, I think, more popular among people as well. Um, not everybody needs to have a war game where we're destroying somebody. Right. So in kind of in line with, you know, when we talk about modern board games, this is a great example of a modern board game adaption. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's a solid eight or nine all the way through um, with the core box itself and just what you get for it. And how many times you're going to have a good time with this? Yeah, I, I think I would definitely, honestly, I think I'd put it at a nine. Because yeah. even the the one one that we rated at an eight, I, I still think that it's not enough to, to draw that down. Yeah. Like, I, I think this is a very solid game. It's a very solid in, in implementation of an existing system. Um, if, when you start adding in all the content that is out there for it, like, it makes the replayability of this game, like, exceptional. Right. And you may be getting your ass kicked in this game constantly and you go, you know what? I bet Hellrider would do great in here. Yeah. Go pick up that box. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of the the joys of this. You don't have to wait for more expansions to come out. There's already a lot of them out there that you can just plug and play. Um, I will say the Dice Tower when they did the review of this game. Uh, I didn't want to say anything before we gave our numbers, um, but this was one of the only games I've ever seen them review where out of the four people that were on the panel giving the review, three out of the four gave it 10 out of 10. Really? And one of it gave one of them gave it a nine. See, we know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. So we cannot recommend this game enough to you guys. It is a fantastic game. Um, like I said, right now you can pick it up for about forty-five bucks plus shipping from a couple different retailers online. If you like cooperative games, you like boss battlers, maybe you've been kind of interested in unmatched but didn't want to go head to head. One hundred percent run, don't walk. This is the game for you. And next up, our crowdfunding roundup. Three more projects this week. One of them was kind of the focus of our last episode, but we're going to run through their Kickstarter. We're going to talk about the different uh, tiers at which you can pledge and what you're getting for it. Uh, Then we have a 
drawing party game that you can play with your friends, up to eight people. And then we're going to talk about Rattle. And we'll just explain that one later. Yeah, so first up, we have our friends from Fire Nash, which if you haven't listened to the last episode, definitely go listen to it. We did a full interview with them. Uh, we got to learn all about what it's like to uh, run a wood-burning shop out of your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have one of these products. Again, we've shown it off. They are the Hidden Book Dice Towers. We got one custom-made while we were in Gen Con. We met Rose up there. Now they are relaunching the campaign, this time with new artwork, with some new uh, components that you can put inside the book, and it all looks fantastic. Yeah, so some of the new modules that you can add, uh, they brought in a dice vault, a deck box, and a divided tray, and of course the, the dice tower that was involved in the original one. They also have some really awesome artwork from the Brutal Bohemian um, that is kind of the focus point of their Kickstarter this time. Uh, just want to, before we jump into the tiers, I want to say this whole Kickstarter for them was so they can actually move their workshop from their house into a legitimate space um, to really be able to up not only what they can do, but also the amount that they can produce. So this is a great opportunity to support a small business that is making really awesome products for our community. Uh, talking to uh, Rose and Nick, this is what Rose does now. The, yeah. uh, this is her job. So definitely... Go check this one out. Uh, so let's talk about the levels. Uh, there's the, you know, make a pledge uh, without a reward for a buck. Uh, there's the $5 thank you, uh, and you get a card in the mail uh, delivered by Christmas this year uh, that just says thank you for, you know, helping out a little bit. The next level that you're at is the $25 level, a reward received. You get uh, one of the t-shirts with the artwork by Brutal Bohemian, and you also get the thank you card. Yeah, so the next level is at $84. Um, they describe this as the non-player character. Uh, with this, you get one hollow book um, with, of course, the art by Brutal Bohemian. Um, and then you also get a thank you card as well. Um, moving up to a $94 tier, um, you get the two from the previous, but you also get one of the Dice Tower modules included. And these are the ones that are really nice. They fit in the book. They fold down. They've got magnets on them to keep them still. While you're transporting the book, and then once you stand it up, they've got magnets to keep the dice tower in place. The open book kind of works as a dice tray, so as you use the tower, it empties into the, the book. Right, uh, and then next up, we got the 114 tier. So this one adds on a dice vault to the previous tier. Um, and again, all of these, even together, will fit into the book, so it all folds up nice and neat for carrying or display if you have a nice shelf you want to keep it on when you're not using it. Right, and the components all fit inside there, but they're modular as well. If you're not a dice tower person, like I'm not big on dice towers, but having, maybe getting a couple vaults to put in there and then one of the, um, the trays would be how I would set mine up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then there is, um, the next level is at $250. So this comes with two different books. Uh, one tower, one dice vault, one deck box, and two divided trays. So you get two full setups um, to make it however you want to. The next one up is the Adventuring Party at 4.30. Uh, it comes with five hollow books, five dice tower inserts. Uh, so basically, one for your whole party. Um, if you're looking, if you want to buy Christmas presents for your entire party, here you go. Uh, this is kind of the setup that we have right now with ours that was custom made. So it's right. one book and just one of the dice towers in there. Right. And the inside covers of these have been worked as well, um, where ours has kind of a foam lining on it. I believe these ones are uh, leather. Yeah. And they've also been etched. So as of time of recording, there are 18 days left on this Kickstarter. They are at $5,000. Their pledge goal is ten grand. So... Um, if you're out there and you're looking for something for you, if you're looking for something for that geek in your life, um, I, these things are just gorgeous. You really have to go look at the Kickstarter and see it to believe it. All right, so the next one that we have up is Crime Scene, a drawing game. Uh, it is a more kind of a party game. You work as teams. One person is the witness. One person is the detective. And as the witness, you're trying to describe the crime scene and have the detective figure that out. Right, and when it says crime scene, now your crime scene can be all sorts of things. Like, they have things like the Little Mermaid, or 
North America. Um, you get investigator cards that have a category on the front of them, and then on the back of them have the specific crime scene. Um, and then you have these transparent cards. There's a grid of 20 different cards that have various symbols on them. Um, and as the witness, what you're trying to do is take those base symbols and then draw on them with dry erase markers to help your investigator get to the crime scene and figure out what it is. Kind of a real similar feel to Mysterium, where the one person is trying to give you clues. With, yeah. but with that one, it, there's already drawn pictures. This one, you're getting to draw them yourself yeah. or add to them. Yeah, as you roll into the party game aspect, you have um, the team is actually the witness side. So multiple people can be the witness, but the trick to this is they can't talk to each other once the game has started. So it's very much kind of a um, try to figure out what the person on your team is doing. Um, there is one opportunity using a 30 second sand timer where the witnesses can talk among themselves to figure out exactly what their game plan is going forward to try and get the investigator to figure out, you know, exactly what is going on with the crime scene. So there are two versions of this on the Kickstarter. There is the um, kind of family-friendly crime scene, and then there is a crime scene noir, which is in a darker box because it is a more adult-themed version of the game. You can just buy one or the other or both. Right. So looking at the reward tiers, uh, so there's, of course, like a $1 tier where you can tip um, just to support the project. There is a $10 tier for verified brick and mortar retailers. So if you happen to be one of those and want to jump in on this, that is the tier for you. For everyone else, starting tier comes in at $35. So this is the core box of crime scene with all the unlocked stretch goals. And of course, shipping and everything comes later. Um, Estimated delivery on this is October of next year. So that's kind of where we're looking at. Also for $35, you can instead get the noir version. Uh, if that is more up your alley. Right. Uh, for 60 bucks, you can get one of each. Uh, so one copy of Crime Scene Core uh, with all of your unlocked stretch goals, and then one copy of Crime Scene Noir with any unlocked stretch goals to go with that. And then the last tier we have is a kind of an all-in tier. So you get both copies of Crime Scene. Uh, you get all expansions and any add-ons revealed during the campaign. Um, and you actually get your name in the rule books of all the crime scene prints forever and ever for a hundred bucks. Yep. You can live forever in crime scene. (laughs) One day you can show your children or your children's children, or if we are able to input our minds in cyborgs, children's children's children's. Yes. Yeah. You'll be there forever. But currently the project still has 23 days to go. Um, it has funded to their original request, um, so it is ready to roll. So if it is a game that looks like you would want to jump in on, go check out the Kickstarter. All right. Now let's talk Rattle. Now, So this one we pulled off of GameFound. I just want to say the first thing that stuck out to me on this is unique. It is. Um, it's a dexterity-based uh, strategy game. But I think calling it a game, just it, it doesn't quite capture the essence of Rattle. Yeah, it's almost more a, a game system. Yeah. Um, is, is kind of how I, I look at it. It's got a really cool story behind it that the guy who has made it, like the lore behind it. All right, we got to read the lore. Yeah. <laughs> so thousands of years after humans have abandoned an exhausted trade planet, rats now thrive. Centuries of progress sees significant technology and cultural advancements. However, rat identity continues to clash with the previous human influence. A toxic but necessary monarchy of cats surfaced to keep the rat numbers under control and protect the civilization known as Rattle. With the rat community becoming too advanced, King Apollyon bans all human culture and bipedal affections. A resistance of outlaws forms an uprising to regain control of their planet with a desire for knowledge of the human past. Yeah, like this could be an RPG with that kind of background. You know what I'm saying? But it's not. (laughs) Now take that and forget everything you just heard (laughs) because we're playing mini games here. This is Mario Party, the board game. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So the game, the heart of the game consists in this 10 by 5 grid of uh, like, like openings. And through different mini games, which we'll talk about in a second, 
basically you have these little diamond pieces that you toss onto the board and depending on what mini game you're playing will determine what you're throwing and where you're trying to land them. Yeah. So there are tons of mini games that this guy has created for this. Um, and he also has uh, like a discord server where other people are constantly making new mini games for this. So there are also these outlaw rat cards that you can play that each of them have special abilities that allow you to manipulate the board in some way, uh, whether placing like polyomino pieces to block up certain holes um, to help guide your shots in or even moving existing cubes that are on the board. All of the artwork, by the way, looks great. It is the rat utopia planet, and these are the outlaws. I mean, it, it just it fits. Um, and again, I'm a fan of a theme. Yeah, I'm just saying, I think he's got a start of a really good RPG here. Like, if nothing else, if this doesn't go like he plans, um, <laughs> there's always that. There's a fallback. Call yeah, us. Absolutely. So, yeah, reading the background of this, too, this guy is, he is a solo creator. He's making this thing on his 3D printers um, to send out. He's just He's just a dad trying to make something that he loves for a community that he loves. So, um there is only one pledge level and that's what you got. And it is at $33 and 25 cent for your copy of rattle. So currently it has 11 days left to go. It is at $2,500 of a $3,250 goal. So 76% funded. Um, it is almost there. What he has put out a um, update. He said that he believes he can make, basically manufacture these at about 30 per month. Um, so his tier rewards are split up by that. So currently as a time of recording, you can get your rattle in January of 2024 if you back now. So if you wait, it might be February before you can get it. I would like to point out too, there is also a uh, print and play edition if you have a 3D printer. Yeah, so for around 965, you can actually have your own print and play edition if you have a 3D printer. Again, this game looks very unique. You know, I love unique looking games, things that kind of expand that game space, do things different. Uh, this is definitely one of them. Uh, this is a small creator. Um, I love how in the update he says, you know, I, I didn't make this to try and get rich or anything like that. He says, I wanted something that I could enjoy and share it with a community that I enjoy being a part of. Yeah, I'm really digging this. one. I think I might have to back this. Yeah. Uh, again, if nothing else, the artwork is gorgeous and the um, the whole story behind it, I think it's fantastic. Definitely a really cool project to take a look at, especially if you enjoy kind of small, light dexterity games. Um, there are a bunch of mini games that come with it. And like I said, there's a community around it that is making more mini games at all times. You know, your playtime is not very long. It's a nice little opener filler game when, you know, maybe you're waiting for everybody to get to the house for game night. So yeah, go check this one out. That one, again, is on GameFound. All right, and with that, coming around the final corner, Barnum, Riding Helmet, have the lead, and they're on the outside track. Their partners, Osborne, Riding Ronaldo, throw a banana from the inside track, trying to secure their victory. Oh, the banana ricochets, and it hits Barnum, forcing him back three spaces. Marsh and Spike are there to take the lead, crossing the finish line first and winning the Dodino Cup. For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Jim. And I'm Josh. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at The Dapper Meeple, or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs>